It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, a little muffled, Christiana Viegas. And I'm your host, Todd Marquardt. Today's show is sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm and Falcon Bank. Decisions about your future can be difficult, but Falcon Bank Trust Department can help make planning for tomorrow a positive experience. From estate planning and administration of trusts to investment management, including real estate and mineral management, Falcon Bank offers solutions with an honest evaluation of what you need. Call Falcon Bank at 210-489-4150 to discuss how they may be of service to you. Now, listen to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Because I'm a licensed attorney, I must give a disclaimer required by the State Bar of Texas. That's the state agency that governs our our attorney law license. The state bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law, but because legal advice must be tailored to specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, the material discussed herein is meant for general informational purposes only, and is not meant to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with a prayer. Of course. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to do your will. Please help Roman Aguilera, Christiana, and me good information to the listeners about uh, trademark, patent, and copyright law today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in the prayer, Mr. Marquardt had mentioned we're talking about copyright and patent laws So if you're tuning in today, it's a new episode, and we have open phone lines today because our guest, Roman Aguilera, has joined us in our office today here live. Thank you for joining us, Roman. Thank you for having me. It was great to have you join us and to discuss this topic on copyright and patent laws. If you're already familiar with this vocabulary, give us a call with your questions by dialing 210-308. 8867 for your chance to ask a patent attorney your questions about copyright, trademark, inventions. But before we get into the hot, into the hot details of those topics, tell us a little bit about yourself, Roman. What brings you to San Antonio and to our morning show? 
Sure. No, thank you for having me again. Uh, it's such a beautiful day here in San Antonio. I actually grew up in San Antonio, so this is home for me. Um, to to be a patent attorney, you actually uh, are actually to be registered to practice before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. You need to have an, uh, an engineering or science background. Um, so we do have that uh, uh, distinguishment. And then um, there's a- an actual uh, patent bar test an examination that you take um, before the United States Patent and Trademark Office to uh, practice before that uh, organization. So you have to take two bar exams. We do. We do. We have to take an extra, an, a little extra test there. So you studied uh, engineering beforehand. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, growing up as a kid, I was always interested in uh, in flying and uh, started flying when I was 13, when the flight school when I was 16. And um, so I, when I went to uh, uh, undergrad, I did uh, aerospace engineering at the, the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, such a it was such a great experience and uh, really enjoyed it. What kind of work did you do after you graduated? Um, my first job, believe it or not, was actually in software engineering. It was out of a, uh, f- for a company out of uh, uh, in the D.C. area, and so uh, worked as a, a programmer, project manager, software engineer for for a number of years before going back uh, back to law school. Was it called Inatech? It was not. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know what Inatech is, it's a reference to a, a movie called Office Space. Anyway, so after you uh, worked there, then you went to law school. Where did you go? I went to Texas Tech Law, and uh, it was a great, a great place. Uh, by then, uh, I was married, had two kids, and uh, it was just a great uh, place for going to law school and, and uh, having a family. And then you came back to San Antonio, or...? Where? Uh, I actually worked uh, for Texas Tech as in-house counsel, reporting to a vice chancellor, and uh, worked there for a couple of years before coming back to San Antonio and and opening up my own practice. Okay. Wow, that's uh, a lot of education and a lot of experience. You mentioned uh, registering with the patent office. Is it possible for other attorneys to do work at with the patent office without being registered? Uh, the United States Patent and Trademark Office handles both uh, patent applications as well as trademark applications. Uh, so a, uh, a licensed attorney can um, assist clients with, with trademark applications. With um, patent applications, you actually do need to, to take that patent exam and, and be registered before the patent uh, office to do um, patent applications. Mm, Well, let's take this call, and then we'll ask you more about that. You are live on Talk Law Radio. Joseph, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you guys fine. Oh, great. Thank you for joining us on the show live, Joseph. Do you have a question for our attorney, Roman Aguilera, about patent laws? Yeah, it's it's kind of a silly question, but uh, just kind of curious if it's like an actual thing. My dad you also used to always talk about like a, um, I guess what he referred to as a poor man's patent, where you could, uh, like if you had an idea, you could, uh, I guess like, for example, write a letter or sketch it out to yourself and then just uh, send it to yourself through the mail. So I guess uh, the line of thinking is you have an official stamp from a government agency being that it goes to the post office. 
Um, so like, I guess that would be a date for, I guess, uh, I guess an equivalent of like filing, I guess your patent idea. Is that something that, that like holds up? Like if somebody else says, you know, I invented this and you're, and you, <clears throat> excuse me, you can pull out an envelope. It's like, no, you know what? I actually had that idea. I mailed it to myself and here's the postmark showing when I did it. Is that like a thing? It it uh, it's a thing in that it's a it's a well known what we call an urban legend and the uh, the patent office actually puts out a brochure about common pitfalls and urban legends and uh, that is actually one of them uh, and so that doesn't uh, hold any weight and um, actually back uh, in 2013 when uh, we changed from uh, a first to invent system to a first to file system. That even makes that even more so not uh, really applicable. Uh, So back um, uh, in the old days, we used to be a first to invent, meaning if two inventors filed uh, an application and it was for the same material, the patent office would determine, well, who was the first to invent uh, that particular uh, invention. And so that would determine priority and who actually could continue on with their application. Uh, and nowadays, it's the first to file the application. So even though it's the same material, um, the application or the patent office will look at both applications and say, not who was the first to invent, but who was the actual first one to file their application. So it's really important to get your application filed uh, before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Did that answer your question, Joseph? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I did. Uh, interesting to find out that's just an urban legend. We're good to know. Wow. So then we have a lot of urban legends I'm sure we're going to have to go through. Thank you for joining us, Joseph. We're taking more calls later on today. If you dial 210-308-8867, we're going to go on a short break here on Talk Law Radio. We're still live here with Todd Marcourt and Roman Aguilera. If you have an idea about making a new invention, writing a story, or publishing your own song, then you might need to listen to this episode before you put that on paper and on the internet. Give us a call at 210-308-8867 to share your copyright and trademark myths that you have heard here on Talk Law Radio. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Viegas, and we're live in the studio today with our guest, Roman Aguilera, on the topic of copyright and patent laws. Roman, I, I wanted to know, what exactly does the Patent Office do? What's their role in this? Sure, most definitely. They are the ones who actually receive, process, and um, issue patents or register your trademarks. Uh, so they, on the patent side, they have what are called uh, patent examiners. Uh, 
And these are individuals with science and engineering backgrounds. They have particular art units. Um, the art unit is like a particular area, so there may be an art unit for uh, lasers, and the uh, examiners have um, you know, degrees in, in that particular area. So when they're processing those patent applications, they do have a background in that patent application uh, area. And then on the trademark side, they have uh, trademark examining attorneys. Uh, they are actual attorneys, and they process the uh, trademark applications. So they're the ones who you work with uh, to get your applications approved and uh, you know, get your issued patent and your trademark uh, registered. You know what my favorite uh, patent diagram is? Which one's At that? least I've seen it on the internet. Is uh, it answers the question about uh, whether the toilet paper roll should uh, have the toilet paper falling down on the back side, or whether <laughs> it should be falling down on the front side. And it it purports to show the diagram that was uh, submitted to the patent office for, I guess, the toilet paper roll holder. Have you seen that? I actually have not (laughs) seen that, but uh, I know that's an important topic in a lot of relationships. I don't know about you, but I'm more of an undergirl myself. (laughs) And I think most women are. Not not to throw any shade towards the gender, but that's what I've heard. There's just a certain technique about being able to pull the toilet paper. But aside from those kinds (laughs) of topics, there's more than just toilet paper and machines that end up having trademarks and patents, what are the other kinds of categories people might be able to get a patent for or copyright? So there's actually a a case that came down that said anything under the sun made by man is a patentable subject matter. So if there's a a human intervention to it, uh, it, it lends itself to being patentable subject matter. So, for instance, um, one thing that was used is you can't patent a tree, but you can patent a swing made from the tree. And even with life organisms, um, if there's some kind of uh, manual manipulation to that uh, organism, um, that can be patented as well. Yeah, I did read about um, some scientific uh, manipulation of bacteria or DNA um, that's all above my head because I I didn't have a science background. Uh, I've heard I'd heard that most patent attorneys either have some engineering or some bio- biology background. Yeah, and and by default, if it's naturally occurring in nature, um, you you didn't invent it; you just discovered it. And so um, the requirement is that human intervention. There's a case where there was a, a, an organism that would uh, eat oil, but it was manipulated so it would do that. Um, and it's naturally occurring uh, form in the environment. It didn't do that. So that enhancement is something that would lend itself towards uh, being patentable. Okay. Yeah, and recently there was a, a scientist that discovered a new kind of flower, and same thing. Uh, that that flower was already ex- in a, existence when he found it. So in order for him to patent something, uh, the case said that he had to uh, figure out how to grow it. 
Yeah, yeah, there definitely have to be that. Uh, and that's what something as a, as a patent attorney we do when we work with clients is we try to identify the novel aspects or the inventive step that was, uh, that was done for that invention. So uh, there's, I mean, across the board, you can have things simple as, you know, a, a, uh, a kitchen tool. You can have something like a, like a software device, uh, nanotechnology. Um, there's just such a, a big breadth of, of uh, things that can be considered an invention. I heard about some uh, people here in South Texas inventing things to make uh, discovering oil down here easier you know, like the fracking technology and the, uh, you know, just getting the oil out of the ground. I think that there's been some new developments in the that process as well. So there's different types of patents, right? There are. There are. Um, there's uh, three main types. There's a utility, there's a design, and there's a plant patent. Um, right now, the patent office is receiving... Uh, anywhere between 650 to 700,000 applications a year. Um, so that's a lot of applications. Um, the vast majority, like when you watch Shark Tank and you hear about a patent, usually the, the one most people are thinking about and talk about is what's called a utility patent. So it protects the way something operates the device uh, itself. Um, and I would say uh, the statistics are showing right now that about – uh, a little over 90, 93% of the applications that are filed are utility patents. Uh, the design patent protects the way something uh, appears. So it's a design for a article of manufacture. So it's like the Coca-Cola bottle is a, is a famous design patent, the shape of that Coca-Cola bottle. Um, and, and so design patents, it doesn't protect the way something functions, the way it operates, uh, the way it's put together. Uh, it just uh, protects the appearance. Um, so many clients will use a design patent to uh, for product packaging, more of a marketing, branding type type effort. And I would say about five to six percent of the applications that get filed are design patents. And then the last one is a plant patent, and that's for an asexually reproduced plant. Um, unless you're really doing uh, like design and research in in that particular area. Um, you really don't get exposed too much to the plant patents, and I would say less than 1% of all the applications that get filed are plant patents. Can we verify that word? How do you asexually reproduce a plant? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> I mean, a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of people can understand the context of sexual um, being a very intimate action. Uh, many life forms all over the planet <laughs> usually partake. There are a few animals that are able to do so without... So, we might have to get a scientist on the show to talk about this. <laughs> if you actually know someone who would want to be on the show and discuss about biology, then give us a call at 210-308-8867 or our Facebook page, Talk Law Radio and the Scales of Justice, to send us your recommendations. Okay, let's move on then to trademarks. I've also heard about this uh, similar thing called a service mark what's the difference so yeah so when you uh you know a trademark registration is a trademark registration the difference between uh what you may uh hear is a, a trademark and a service mark is um the whole purpose behind a trademark is it identifies the source of goods or services 
So if you're using the mark and it doesn't identify the source of a good but identifies the source of a service, it would be termed or, can, or called a service mark. So if the mark is for, let's say, accounting services or lawn services, then um, it, there's both – I mean, they're both considered – they're both marks, but it just identifies the source of a service as opposed to a mark. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And you you do that at your firm, right? Yes, yes, we certainly do. It, it's one of our bread and butters. We um, our firm is kind of a, is a boutique uh, IP or intellectual property law firm, and so when we say intellectual property, um, we mean patents, trademarks, copyrights, uh, trade secrets, um, trade dress. All of those fall underneath the realm of uh, intellectual property. So once the product whatever form it is taking, has a patent, how long is that patent good for? Is it good for until death? Is it good for indefinitely? Is it good for only 100 years? What are the standards for um, protecting a product from copyright and then everybody being able to reuse it however they want? So, yeah, so for a, a patent, that's a good uh, who wants to be a millionaire question, <laughs> the, the, the term of a patent. And so it's, it's actually changed a little bit over the years, um, but uh, the, the current uh, length of a patent is 20 years from its earliest effective filing date. Now, how's that for a, a legal answer? Um, so f- from that moment, uh, you file your patent application, you get a filing date, and then when it uh, goes through the process and it gets issued into a patent, the term is calculated from that uh, that filing date. It's 20 years from that particular date. So there could be some ineffective filing dates. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, yeah. Okay. The, yeah, there's some things that kind of come into play on your filing dates. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's uh, I think, for a later detailed discussion. That's why you want to hire an attorney that focuses on what this about area. For music, though, I heard that if you waited 50 years or 100 years, you can uh, retake someone else's work and reproduce it as uh, an adjustment or a parody. Well, yeah, so uh, on copyrights, there are what's called uh, fair use exceptions. So if someone, uh, let's say, makes a movie, has a sitcom, has a, has a song, there are there's what's called a fair use doctrine, and there are... Uh, exceptions where an individual can uh, use that particular copyright work. So, for instance, one of them is for, um, uh, like, teaching or, like, news purposes. Um, So you can show, like, a little clip, um, you know, a little part as part of the uh, teaching uh, curriculum. Um, And then there's also parody. And most people are familiar with, uh, like, when Beat It came out, and it was it Weird Al Yankovic, and he mm-hmm. uh, came out with Eat It. Um, so they're doing these parodies, and, and uh, obviously it does need to be a parody. Um, there's case laws on, you know, is it a parody or not. And uh, uh, so those are uh, some exceptions that are out there for someone able to use a, a copyrighted work. And to uh, sorry, I'm I'm a stickler about music, but actually the first parody that Weird Al came with was "I'm Fat" to the song "I'm Bad," and he was only able to do that because he asked Michael Jackson and got his permission to do it. So there are some cases then where I guess the copyright is waived if they get the permission, right? Oh, most definitely, because as a and a lot of times when we counsel clients, the easiest way to avoid 
um, any kind of uh, disputes is to approach the copyright holder and just ask for permission. A lot of times uh, they do uh, grant that uh, depending on the purpose of the use, and um, you know that puts you in the best position possible. If you're tuning in now, we are live here on Talk Law Radio with Roman Aguilera talking about patent laws and copyright. If you have any myths that you heard or questions about creating a product and posting it on YouTube, then give us a call. Tell us your stories by dialing 210-308-8867. That's 210-308-8867. We still have a lot of time before the show is over. And when we come back from this break, uh, we'll ask Roman to weigh in on whether the communist government in China is stealing intellectual property from United States citizens. That's going to be a very sensitive topic to discuss. So if you have any questions, you want to stay tuned after this break. We're here on Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. We'll accept any questions you want to send us by dialing 210-308-8867. We look forward to hearing from you soon back on Talk Law Radio. And let us know if you think that the communist government in China is stealing intellectual property from United States citizens. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marcourt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we're live in our studio today with Roman Aguilera discussing about patent laws and copyright. If you have any questions or myths that you want to share with us, we're taking calls today at dialing 210-308-8867. So, Roman, tell us, uh, do you think the communist government in China is stealing intellectual property from United States citizens? From what I've seen, um, I I think there's no doubt that, that they are. And so what does the patent office do to help us out? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good question. Um, there are all kinds of initiatives that, uh, that are kind of in place, both from a, from a politician level and uh, depending on the exact situation, you know, everything kind of plays out a little bit different, um, you know, whether you're operating in China as a manufacturing uh, source or if you have patents that are actually issued in um, – in China, um, the one big thing that like people probably don't realize is, you know, obviously when you get a patent issued, it's only good for that territory or that country. And so, if you are operating in different uh, countries, it's important that uh, that you work with your uh, attorney to make sure um, you have the right protection in the the different uh, countries uh, that you have. So. Um, part of uh, going through the patent process, you do um, your application or your patent does get published, so it is it is able to be viewed by others. So it's not uncommon for um, different companies to see if they if they got a let's say a patent issued in Germany, uh, but not in the U.S. Then you can research and look up those issued patents uh, or applications in Germany, and kind of piggyback and, and utilize uh, you know those technologies. 
So how effective is the claim of ignorance? Oh, I didn't know that somebody else had this name or exact same design. There should be some research done before you start putting it out for production, right? So I highly encourage clients before they begin an initiative, whether they do a, a trademark rollout, some type of branding, um, to, to work with an attorney to do some due diligence and research um, and um, you know, just to kind of see what may be out there that may cause some conflicts. Um, because sometimes they do come out with something. Uh, we do some research and like, well, someone's already using this mark in your particular space. Um, so you may want to want to change that up. Um, we currently work with different uh, marketing and branding firms uh, to provide those type of services. Uh, the last thing you want to do is is is, is pay a, a marketing branding firm uh, a lot of uh, you know provide them a lot of financial resources. Come up with a design, and just by you know happenstance, it uh, looks very similar to something that's already out there, and then having to start over. Um, so it is very important to I think to do. Um, some research up front and uh, kind of do some clearance work, uh, make sure, um, you know, nothing else out there is really um, in, in uh, conflict with it. I got a question for you. Do you think I could patent a new bullet that would kill two deer at once? That's uh, on its face. It's, not, it's patentable subject matter. and uh, You, you I know would... why I want to do this? <laughs> you get more buck for your bang. Oh my god. <laughs> ah! Okay, seriously. In the news, I heard that uh the uh pharmaceutical company that uh, is uh developing remdesivir actually uh may have forgotten to mention that they got some help uh developing that formula from some government agencies. What's the interplay when it comes to the scientists that have helped invent something? So, yeah, uh, great question. Um, so when you're looking at uh, inventions and patentable subject matter and patents itself, um, there are really uh, two things to kind of look at. There's, uh, there's the inventors who actually you know, contributed, materially contributed to the invention, and then there is the ownership issue. Um, so you can have five inventors, you know, come up with an invention, but that actual uh, uh, invention, finally, the, the, the IP itself can be owned um, by someone else different. Uh, really common practical kind of example is you have engineers who work for a company. Um, usually as part of their employment agreement, uh, there are IP provisions in that employment agreement. And so, for instance, let's say you have a microchip company and they have 10 of their engineers come up with a new microchip. Um, well, contractually, usually they'll have uh, those provisions in place and the ownership of that invention will, will go to the, the actual microchip company. Um, so there can be a lot of play, um, especially on, um, on research. There's usually collaboration agreements, research agreements, things like that that can kind of come into play. And uh, you not only have to look at it from uh, an inventor standpoint, but you also have to look at it from a from an ownership standpoint of who actually owns that intellectual property. And there's probably some universities, educational institutions that sort of work the same way. 
Yeah, whether it's a you know employer and employer can be you know a, a private company or it can be an academic institution. Um, the mechanisms are all kind of uh, the, the same in, in terms of uh, um, you know the terms and conditions of that uh, of that employment. Um, but uh, even like research, you can have sponsored research, and depending on the contractual arrangements. Uh, the ownership of the IP that's developed can uh, vest ownership in uh, whoever's designated in those contracts. What about patents for food designs? Um, I kind of just remembered right now, there was a sequence in the movie Mean Girls where one of the girls was super rich and famous in her own little clique because her father invented the toaster strudel. Yeah, so uh, that's a that's a great question, and uh, periodically I'll get a client come in and, and ask about that. And uh, so the, um, with patents and stuff, you can patent a method. So uh, a recipe is fair game. Uh, one of the biggest requirements, or one of the requirements for getting a patent is it has to be novel, which has to be new. So you've got kind of that hurdle of, you know, has anyone else actually done something uh, like that or uh, the same as that? Um, the more um, you uh, get into more like what I would call like performance characteristics. So say um, like normal bread molds, you know, after a week, but you have a new process and, um, you know, making and, and, and uh, baking that bread so that now it has a shelf life of of a month. Um, so when you can impart like performance characteristics based on your method, um, those lends itself more towards uh, getting that patent issued. Um, and so that's you know something that we look at. If you have any questions about copyright, patents, recipes that maybe your family came up with originally, give us a call and let us know by dialing two one zero. Three zero eight 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 six seven here live on Talk Law Radio. Do you remember studying uh, who invented the light bulb? Uh, not necessarily, but okay. Uh, well, what brought this to my mind was uh, uh, my wife and I, Chris, were watching uh, The Sopranos last night, and Tony Soprano gets all upset. Um, because the Italian guy that was involved in developing a light bulb is never recognized when uh, Thomas Edison is. And so uh, I was uh, just reading about this topic, and I discovered this uh, court case back in 1895 (laughs) about the patent of the light bulb. Yeah, Thomas Edison is... uh is the one recognized or giving credit for that. Um, but there is uh, material out there that kind of disputes who actually came up with uh, with that first. And there's he invented a lot of things, and so he probably has a, a lot of patents out there. And he probably had a great attorney. <laughs> yeah, he's known as the, uh, the father of invention. He has over a 1,000 issued patents to his name. Um, so he was uh, quite the prolific inventor. So then speaking of names, what about patenting brands like you were discussing earlier? Uh, Some of us millennials who are absorbed in social media, if you're staying at home, you're probably catching up with keeping up with the Kardashians. 
And there was this situation where Kylie Jenner tried to trademark the name Kylie so no one else could use it. How is that even possible? So, yeah, the, uh, you can uh, trademark a name, a surname, um, as part of your branding uh, if you're using that to distinguish the source of your goods or services. So in that particular case, and what happens with uh, any trademark application is the trademark examining attorney will look to see if there are any other um, uh, previously filed applications or uh, trademark uh, um, you know, actual registered trademarks that are out there uh, where they already have priority and already using a similar uh, mark in that particular space. So in Kylie Jenner's um, example, there was already someone else who was using the term Kylie in her particular space. Well, before we stray off topic, that was a little bit about keeping up with the Kardashians, but you should keep up with us here on Talk Law Radio after we return from this break. We're talking about patents, copyright laws, here with Roman Aguilera and Todd Marcourt. If you have any suggestions about the next episode you want to hear, give us a call at 210-308-8867 or leave a comment on Facebook with the Scales of Justice. We'll be right back. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. They can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we're live in our studio with Roman Aguilera learning about patent laws. So we're going to also talk about how... uh, Patents and copyrights and trademarks can be inherited, and how you can leave that as your legacy to your family. In fact, there's uh, something that happened this past week that that brings this to mind. I'm sorry to say that little Richard has passed. It's rumored that Little Richard earned $40 million over his decades-long career, but who's he leaving it to? Probably his son, Danny, and he'll be receiving, you know, whatever properties and cash assets he has. But unfortunately, the uh, publishing rights to Little Richard's songs were sold in the mid-1950s, and Sony ended up with uh, most of uh, Little Richard's intellectual property. So there are lots of uh, artists and, and lots of inventors who pass down uh, the property rights for their inventions and copyrights and 
uh, creative works. Uh, but it looks like from what is in what we can see from the public records that Little Richard uh, already had s- sold his rights, so he won't be passing those down. But it reminded me to mention that um, you can leave your intellectual property to those you love after you pass away, but you have to be careful in how you do it because it's not going to fall under the tangible personal property clause in your will or your trust. This is an intangible property, but uh, Roman's going to tell us that it's a property right nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, intellectual property, it has the term property in it because it's treated uh, very much like, uh, you know, a car, a laptop, a phone. Um, you know, you have those ownership rights, and those ownership rights can can be transferred, sold, um, and even passed, uh, you know, through a, uh, through mechanisms at, uh, at passing. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's uh, very accurate. And they call it intellectual why? Uh, because it's a, a product of the mind. I like that. You should uh, <laughs> trademark that or make that your tagline. So um, since we're talking about um, leaving things after you pass away, I wanted to uh, tell our listeners that this is the the legacy portion of the show. And Roman, you know at Marquardt Law Firm, we focus on last wills, living trusts, uh, tax-protected inheritance, and legacy planning. And so we always ask our guests about legacy. Uh, what's your legacy? I guess when I was thinking about this question, uh, I mean, the, uh, the scripture that came to mind is Proverbs 3, 5, uh, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But it's kind of something that I always, uh, it was a scripture that uh, was near and dear to me at a very young age, and uh, I use it as a guiding principle. It's one of the, the ones that's always been on the forefront uh, for me, uh, something that I've always tried to impart to my kids, and uh, you know, something that uh, means a lot to me. There's also that scripture that says, uh, talk about the scripture with your children as you walk along the road. Um, I'm sure you've done that with that scripture. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that the segment of talking about legacies goes hand in hand with our topic about talking of copyrights and trademarks and having family members that are left behind be able to inherit it. Um, So I know that you can't give quotes for legal services that you individually provide, but if someone were to try and read the books and file the form on getting their own patents, is there a resource that they can go to to find out what those kind of out-of-pocket costs are going to be like? Can, do you know those numbers off the top of your head? Yeah, the uh, USPTO.gov is the uh, official uh, website for the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Um, they do have tabs for um, inventor resources. Uh, they even have an inventor hop, uh, hotline that you can call in with questions. Um, however, I do recommend uh, highly to uh, engage uh, an intellectual property attorney to help you with the process. It's almost like uh, going to court. Um, you're still held to the same uh, standards and requirements that uh, an attorney has when he's filing the uh, the application. 
Um, the helpline is uh, in the USPTO.gov is a great resource for getting a good feel of the process and FAQs, and they even have uh, several good videos that will uh, answer a lot of common questions that are raised. So then we are called starving artists for a reason. A lot of us who might have original work that we want to get out there. So what about the legal rights of getting a sponsor for paying those fees of the registration and having an attorney? Does the person who pays the cost of the filing forms or the attorney that helps them, do they have any legal claims to that trademark or copyright? Uh, just by paying uh, the fees uh, on behalf of someone, that does not uh, uh, give them any rights in that particular application. Uh, obviously, if there's, you know, I'm speaking in generalities. You know, if there's if there's some type of contractual arrangement, then obviously it would depend on on uh, what's in that particular contract. Um, but uh, there are a lot of good, also, um, well, there are resources out there that can help inventors. Um, you know, I, I uh, recommend, uh, you know, sitting with them and, and vetting them and, and making sure they're a proper fit for um, your initiatives and what you're trying to accomplish. So if you heard all this information, if it flew by too quickly for you or you have more unanswered questions, visit our website, talklawradio.com, to listen to when this podcast is updated. Visit USP. T-O-dot-gov, G-O-V, if you want to find out what the steps are to go through the patent applications. But also about sponsorships, we have sponsors for our podcast. Right. And so if you're interested in being a sponsor, uh, give us a call at 210-530-4278 and we'll discuss whether you would be a good sponsor for us. Uh, we want to choose sponsors that have similar interests and values in mind, and so we want to talk about that first. Um, you know what I worry about when it comes to leaving your intellectual property is what's the value of it? And you, the reason you want to know what the value of your intellectual property is is because there's a federal estate tax, and right now the exemption is $11.5 million, uh, but that exemption is going to expire in 2025, and so then it'll go back down to $5 million adjusted with uh, uh, inflation and so forth. But if you don't know what the value is today, you're certainly not going to know what the value is when you pass away. And so estate planning attorneys suggest that you determine what the value is. Of course, you have to hire people to do that. But uh, too much is given, much is expected. That's another uh, reference to the good book. Uh, you want to find out what the value is because you don't want your family to be left with this intellectual property and then have no cash to pay the federal estate tax and then have to sell the intellectual property just to pay the tax. So there are a lot of strategies to helping you uh, manage what that tax is going to be. Now, you can't do anything uh, bad to the IRS or the tax office, 
you can't do anything to uh, cheat your taxes, so to speak. But there are legal, ethical, uh, and above-board things that you can do to reduce your federal tax liability, and that's allowed. Now, what happens, though, if someone tries to change their patent application by adding something in their will, like the Beastie Boys did? Adam Yucks, was it? Oh, well, what he did is he wanted to um, prevent anyone who inherited from him to use his uh, music and advertisements. But he didn't own everything. He was in a music group, and (laughs) so the group owned the rights together. They're co-owners. And so one of the co-owners can't decide what you're going to do or not do with something that's owned by other people. And so they're, they're the estate planning attorneys that have uh, been analyzing his will have said that um, there could be some litigation if one of the other Beastie Boys wanted to use the, their music and advertisements then Adam's uh, surviving spouse would have to file a lawsuit against him. And uh, while they think that everybody was on the same page, it was well known that the Beastie Boys didn't want to use their music and advertisements. Well, that could change one generation away or, or more than one generation away. Or maybe somebody just needs money. You know, then you have a lawsuit on your hands and then the the band breaks up, so to speak, and you don't want your what you worked so hard for uh, to be wasted and spent in litigation that could have been prevented. Another um, lesson that was learned from that case is that his attorney probably should have stopped him from adding this handwritten comment on the end of his will that said, by the way, I don't want you to use my music in advertising. (laughs) You know, Mr. Marquardt, there was a quote that I used to like hearing you say in the office a lot. The only people who lose their homes (laughs) are people who don't like attorneys. And I think that can, you know, be the same for anything of value that you have, whether it's sentimental, financial, intellectual property that was a part of your passion. If you want to protect your most valuable item... The only people who lose that is because you lose your faith in having a proper attorney that is best suited for your needs. So if you have a loved one that doesn't like attorneys, you might want to encourage them to talk to an attorney that people like. like. Or listen to our podcast and get (laughs) to know one on Talk Law Radio. We'll be back next Saturday for a new episode at 11 o'clock.